Good morning, family. I'm very excited about this morning. As we approach our celebration of Easter and the resurrection of our Lord, it's equally important that we understand the weight and the significance of the time that Jesus spent on the cross. And because of that, I'm extremely grateful for Bob and for the foundation that he has laid over the past several weeks in walking us through the last seven utterances, the last seven sayings of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Bob has walked us through the first four of those seven, which leaves his final three, which happen in very close proximity to one another on the timeline of his final hours. And we're going to find those in two places this morning, John chapter 19 and Luke chapter 23. So I want you to go ahead and be turned into Luke, uh, John 19 this morning. Um, and while you're turning there, I want you to think about, I don't know how many of you guys enjoy putting together jigsaw puzzles. Are there any puzzle workers in the crowd that y'all really enjoy that? Um, I, I, I really enjoy that. Very seldom do I, uh, does the pace of my life slow down enough to actually sit down together with Kim or the boys and, and work a puzzle, but... Um, I'm the type that if I'm going to work a jigsaw puzzle, I want a big one that's got thousands of pieces and that's going to take a long time to put together. Are, are you are anybody with me? Like those that you can put together in 30 minutes, like that's a waste of time to me. Uh, like I could do something else with that 30 minutes. I want one that's going to have lots of pieces to put together that I'm going to have to leave on a table somewhere and work over a long period of time and slowly begin to see the picture take shape. Uh, Kim and I used to do that when we were dating a lot. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but you, you get a puzzle, you pour all the pieces out, you begin to put it together, and then you get to the very end of the puzzle only to realize that there's a piece missing. You ever been there? Oh, doesn't it make you mad? There's, you've, you've put all this time and effort into this picture. And even though that one piece missing doesn't really obscure the picture, you can still see what it's a picture of. It's not finished. It's not complete because there's, there's one piece missing. And I've never seen anybody. We have some puzzles in our home that we put together. And some puzzles, you, you spend so much time and effort in them, and the picture at the end looks so beautiful, you want to maybe frame them and put them up in your house. We have a couple in our house that have some sentimental value to them, and we've hung them in our house. But I've never seen anybody hang a completed puzzle or an uncompleted puzzle in their house. I've never seen anybody frame a puzzle that had a piece missing because it's incomplete. But in contrast to that, the anger and the dissatisfaction you feel when you can't finish it, isn't it an incredible feeling when you do come to the end and you do have that final piece in your hand and you're able to just slowly, like you just savor it. You just slowly put that last piece into the puzzle, that one hole that's in the picture. And you fill it up and, and the work is finished, complete, and it was just the way it was designed to be. Let's look in John chapter 19, starting in verse 28. We're going to look at verses 28 and 29. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, 
And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now notice when those two verses before we continue that John begins to describe Jesus' final cry of physical distress. This is the moment where Jesus meets his pinnacle of physical stress as he's hanging on the cross. But before he begins to talk about that and what those words are that come from Jesus, he tells us that Jesus knew everything had been accomplished. And it's important for John to tell his readers this because it establishes the fact that Jesus had complete authority and complete control over everything that was happening to him and around him and that he never lost control. It would be really easy for us to look at a suffering, dying man on a cross and think that he had control of nothing. But the truth John wants us to understand is even in that moment of his greatest physical distress, Jesus had authority and control over everything. There was nothing that he didn't have power over. So as Jesus is approaching his final moments on the cross, he cries out, I thirst, I'm thirsty. He was at the pinnacle of his physical pain and distress. And the full humanity of Jesus was crying out as he was physically fighting severe dehydration. Which is one of the ways crucifixion would take its toll on its victims. He'd been hanging there for hours. The bodily fluids he had lost through the scourging and through, through the stress of the crucifixion was taking its toll on his body, and his body was beginning to dehydrate. And he could feel the pain of that. But the primary goal of his cry was not just to get his thirst quenched, but it was to fulfill the promises of the Scriptures in the Old Testament. And John says that in verse 28. The phrase, so the Scripture might be fulfilled, is repeated throughout the Gospel of John. Over and over and over. John makes sure to pull the readers back into the Old Testament prophecies and say, so the prophecy could be fulfilled. So the scriptures could be fulfilled. And at the end of his gospel, he states what the purpose of his entire gospel is. And it's so that his readers could believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that they may have new life in him. There are lots of prophecies of Jesus. There are lots of prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled them all. And, you, and, and so many people, so many skeptics will look at the story of Jesus and they'll look at the Old Testament scriptures and say, oh, well, that's, that's coincidence. Let me tell you mathematically, if you were to take eight of the major prophecies of Jesus, there are hundreds hundreds of prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament, but if you were to take eight of those and mathematically calculate the probability of one person fulfilling eight of those hundreds of prophecies, you would end up with the odds of one in one with 28 zeros after it. That's only to fulfill eight of those hundreds. 
So it was not coincidence. It was not happenstance or accident. It was the plan from the very beginning. So in response to Jesus Christ, it says that the soldiers dipped a sponge in some sour wine vinegar and, and they raised it up to his mouth to drink. This was a, a cheap, very vinegar. It, it was really, the majority of it was vinegar. A, a vinegar wine that was likely uh, left there in a the container. It, it was very cheap and it was likely there uh, for the soldiers. For the soldiers to have to drink while they carried out their work of execution. And so they dipped it in, and as they raised it up to Jesus on the sponge, there were prophecies even in the book of Psalms that had, were being fulfilled. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen says, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Psalm sixty-nine, twenty-one says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. This was likely not the same drink that Jesus was first offered on the cross. Earlier in the timeline, he was offered another drink. But that drink that had the gall was used in that purpose as a sedative to ease the pain. And Jesus refused it. And the reason he refused that is because he wanted to embody and experience the full judgment and wrath of God for you. For me. He knew that the purpose was not to have his pain deadened, but for him to suffer that pain because that was the will of the Father. Even in his greatest physical distress in this moment, this great thirst, his primary goal was obedience. He knew that with each prophecy and each one had to be fulfilled in each step had to be made to complete the work to redeem us from sin. And he knew at this point when he asked for this drink that all of those steps had been completed. His heart and his mind never wavered from that purpose. Now, let's go back and look at verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head... And gave up his spirit. This was the sixth recorded word from Jesus on the cross. And perhaps another purpose of his cry for thirst. And the purpose of the vinegar. Was to create just enough moisture in his dried out almost completely dehydrated mouth and throat. For him to make one last loud cry from the cross. And the other gospels recorded as well and say that he didn't just say it, that he, he yelled it as loud as he could. That this was a proclamation of Jesus. The, the word for finish that he uttered was the word to telestai. It was a Greek word. And it means the fulfilling of one's obligation or task. This same word has been discovered on ancient tax documents by archaeologists in that day. Receipts indicating that a debt had been paid in full. That was the word that they stamped on your debt when you paid it off. That's the cry of Jesus from the cross. 
It's not the cry of a wasted, pitiful victim. It was the cry of the greatest victory in all of the created universe. Ever. This was the greatest victory cry ever. I don't know how, I don't know how to communicate that to you in a way that I hope you really get it. There is, no, there is no victory cry greater than this one. You see, the work to redeem us from sin began when the forbidden fruit touched Eve's mouth. From that moment, God began to work his plan to bring us back into a restored, reconciled relationship with him. It wasn't even a plan that started with the birth of Jesus. It had begun way before that. From the moment Eve chose to disobey the command of God, God had a plan in place. And that was the beginning of it. And every piece of that plan was worked out all through the Old Testament, all through the prophecies, all through the history of the people. Through the obedience and the disobedience of Israel. And then Jesus' arrival that we celebrate at Christmas. The birth of the Messiah. That's the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle of the plan. Is He reveals himself. He comes. And now because of Jesus' steadfast obedience to the Father. His entire life. His 33 years on the planet. The entire work of redemption was finished. Everything that had to be done to redeem you and I and reconcile us to the God who created us to be in a relationship with him in the first place, everything that had to be done was over. It was finished. There was no need for anything else. The work that Jesus began with his birth in the manger was now complete. The justice of God had been satisfied. Jesus had completely bore the wages of our sin so that we could be spared and be gifted with the grace that we love to sing about. Grace doesn't come without the completion of the plan. And this was it. It's supremely, supremely important that we understand this. As Jesus cried out and released himself to death, there would never be any other work that needed to be done to bring us back to God, including any work done by you and me. We try really hard to make it easier for God to save us. We try really hard to do the things that we think we're supposed to do to make it easier, to, to somehow, that somehow God has done most of the work, but there's a little bit of work in our, in our that we have to do. There's a little, there's, God, there's got to be something, because we don't live in a world like that. We live in a world where you get what you earn. And so, God, there's got to be something that I have to do. There's got to be some incomplete work. You did most of it, 
like 99% of it, but there's got to be a 1% in there somewhere that I have to do. There's got to be something that I have to... And, and I know that that's just our human nature, and that's the basis of almost every other world religion on the planet. But that is not the gospel. The gospel says every bit, 100% of the work that had to be done to redeem you to the Christ, redeem you to the Father, was done through Jesus, and that's it. Nothing else. No work. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to attend church so many times. You don't have to give so much money. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage. You don't have to do any of these things. When Jesus said it was finished, it was finished. We can add nothing to the work of Jesus on the cross. No morality, no religious virtue. The only thing that the scriptures say is left for us to do in response to the complete work of Jesus on the cross is to repent and believe. Repent and believe. To think that we need to add anything actually strips the gospel of its power. It strips the gospel and the cross of its glory. How dare we be so arrogant as to think that there is anything we can do or add to the work of Jesus on the cross that he proclaimed from it was complete. So with that last declaration of final victory, he bowed his head and he died. Now Luke's gospel records another final utterance of Jesus over in Luke 23. So if you'll turn there. In Luke 23. And the timelines are right on top of one another. We're talking about the same moments here. But each of the gospel writers give us different details of those moments. Luke 23. Beginning in verse 44. This is what Luke says. And it was now... About noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And look at verse 47. The centurion seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Surely this man was the Son of God. Luke records Jesus' final prayer to the Father before he completely gives way to his own death. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Again, with the authority that the Father had given him, Jesus declared his own completion by giving his life. Folks, there's something very important that we have to understand about Jesus on the cross. Nothing was ever taken from Jesus. Nothing through the entire process was ever taken away from him. 
Whatever he lost, he gave. Because he had complete authority over everything, every detail, every circumstance, every person who was carrying out his crucifixion. Earlier, if we go to John's Gospel, let me read to you in chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. This is what Jesus said of himself. He said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The authority and control of Jesus is clear. Nothing would be done outside of the will of the Father. And nothing would be done outside the obedience of the Son. Those were the boundaries. Everything that happened was within the will of the Father as it was given to the Son. And then it was in the perfect obedience of Jesus the Son that all of this took place. Jesus' life could never be taken away from him. It could only be given. And so the giving of that life in those moments on the cross was the completion of redemption. It was the completion of everything. Everything that had to be done for us. Everything that we could never, ever, ever do on our own. Jesus died on the cross unlike any other person in the history of humanity. No one has ever died like Jesus did. And no one ever will. It was once for all complete and finished. And him giving that life uttering those last words and then taking that last breath. It was the final stroke on the artist's canvas. It was the last stroke of the masterpiece. It was the final period at the end of the story that God was writing of redemption. It was the last period on the last page of the book of redemption. It was the end of it. It was that last step that crosses over the finish line. For you guys that are runners, which I am not. (laughs) It's that last, you guys know what that feels like. It's that last Step over the finish line. Everything's finished. It's all done. If you think about it as a bridge being built between the Father and creation, it's the last rivet. It's the last connector in the bridge that was built To bring you back to the Father. From the moment Eve sinned in the garden, God had created the picture of this rescue plan that He had set out for us. 
to bring us back to him. And through the history of his people, he was putting each piece together. He had the puzzle in the box already. And as he poured it out on the table, from that moment Eve sinned, he began to use his people and his nation and the enemies of his nation. And he began to put the puzzle, put the picture of redemption for us. He began to piece it together. And slowly as he put those pieces together, the revelation of what his plan was going to look like began to be more clear. We could see pictures and the prophets began to tell the people that there's a Messiah coming. There's a rescuer. There's one that God will send who's going to save us. And as he's putting the puzzle together, in the exact order that he knows the pieces have to fit. We begin to see the outline of Jesus. Because Jesus is in the center of the picture. Jesus is in the middle. Jesus is the part that all the other pieces fit around. We begin to see Jesus and he's born in the manger and his perfect life and his perfect obedience to the Father continues to put the picture together. And Jesus began to talk about the kingdom and what the kingdom looked like and how different the kingdom was than the way the religious teachers were telling everybody it was. And we began to see the kingdom come together. And it began to take shape and the glory of what God had in mind all along was beginning to be seen. Each lash during his scourging was another piece of the puzzle. Each strike against his face, every slap he took, every hair that was ripped out of his beard, every one of those single thorns that went through his head. Every time somebody spit in his face. Every one of those pieces. We're completing the picture. So we come to this moment when Jesus cries out in victory. It is finished. Jesus inhales his last breath of life. And with that last exhale, God put the last piece in the puzzle. Everything was finished. So there's only one thing left to do when you finish a puzzle like that. is to stand up and step back and take a look at what the picture is. Jesus, through his obedience, put the puzzle together. God, in his plan and his sovereignty, put the puzzle together. There's no other pieces left for you to put in it. 
It's finished. But what he calls you and I to do is to step back and see the picture. Step back and see it. And see that it's a picture that was designed just for you. And then respond to it. What are you going to do when you see the completed picture? The picture is an invitation. The picture is the invitation. Nothing left for you to do. But step back and see it. And respond.